Welcome to Health Fail, where we explore failure in healthcare from the highly publicized to the never before told stories of failure that have birthed healthcare transformation and innovation. On this episode of Health Fail, we sit down with Dr. Rui Carrasco to discuss how failure throughout his life and career has led to success in his present role as Chief Medical Information Officer at Presbyterian Healthcare Services. I'm your host, Zach Jiwa. And I'm co-host, Stephen Cutberth. And we hope you enjoy this episode of Health Fail. All right. Good day, everyone. We're here at South by Southwest 2019, and we're going to get into some massive failure today, right? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dr. Carrasco. Thank you. Certainly a pleasure to be here with you. All right. So this show is about um, failure and how it leads to success or, or the failures that lead to, to innovation. And what we want to do is is have conversations that, you know, really get to get to the heart, but, um, you know, we can talk about professional, we can talk about life, we can talk about kids, whatever you want to do. But I'd like to start the conversation off with um, really a question of how you've experienced failure in, let's just start with your career. How have you experienced um, failure in your career and how has it led to uh, the success that you've seen? I think quickly on in, in terms of my career for failure, I, I think realizing that uh, we, the physicians, are not the smartest people in the room, mm-hmm. and that uh, we really have a lot to learn from those we serve. And uh, in medicine, we, we go into it with these these high ideals and these kind of morals that we think of why I want to go into medicine. And then I think quickly what happens is uh, we're in a room with uh, some of the smartest people you'll ever meet, and you get humbled, and and then. I think the, the best humility that comes with it and the most where I have failed has been in the patient room where oftentimes you think that since you're the doctor and you're the one that went to medical school, went through residency, went through all of that, that you really know what the patient needs. And it wasn't until I was in fellowship in Cincinnati Children's Hospital where I realized your job is number one to listen. And if you can start off just by listening, then you will have uh, have succeeded and that's really where it was very difficult to understand that role and so what Cincinnati then did is every three months we had to spend three hours where we take uh, multiple families out to dinner and all we did was just listen and write down everything they said and and then our second role was how do we find solutions in how we fail those families. Yeah, great. And I didn't I didn't give you a proper introduction, but uh, Dr. Carrasco is the Chief Medical Information Officer for Presbyterian Health Systems in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so you've clearly had a stair step into your career and you're a practicing physician, a pediatric rheumatologist. Um, what's What's been the most challenging um, as you've traversed that career? You, you, you talked about Children's Hospital of Cincinnati, but what are some of the kind of the most challenging places where you really felt that gosh, I'm, I'm failing and, you know, I've got to do a better job. And, and how did you get through that? Can you think of any specific examples? I, I often think of back to my days at Baylor and the, uh, the welcome wheel sort of it was welcome week in the, and, <laughs> and, and in there you think about sort of the, the balance, uh, there was the wheels that, that talked about, you know, the, the spiritual, the emotional, the educational and the, and the physical, and that if any parts of that wheel are out of balance, that, you as an individual will really be out of balance and the rest of your, your life and your career will really suffer from it. And I think for me, one of the, the biggest challenges that I had was realizing that you know, what was really most important to me was it 
my career? Was it my ego? And I think a lot of times going up sort of that ladder of success was what did it do for my ego? And I, it wasn't until last year that I realized that it wasn't about me. It was about those that I served. And, and mm -hmm. I think really the, the, the people that I really served were you know, my family, <clears throat> my God, and uh, patience. And I had it all in, in, in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. I had it in order of sort of the, uh, what, what can it do for my name? What can it do for my career? And, and what can I do to, to build that? And everything else was really secondary. And in that, coming to that realization was really important. And what's, what's helped me uh, go back to that was, uh, which is, sounds funny, is doing yoga and meditation. Mm. And I remember getting invited to do yoga, uh, sorry, meditation with my friend. And we did it for two hours. And I remember crying for about an hour and a half of that, just realizing like, oh my gosh, I picked everything wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember flashing back to when I was in um, growing up in a, on a pig farm and sort of the, the humility with that. And then suddenly thinking about sort of what I had, what I had accomplished and how, when I look back at being on the pig farm, how I, I felt I had accomplished more there than in my career, because as a, as a kid, you, you're so innocent and you know, what's right. And, uh, I got that screwed up, uh, up until last year. Mm. So I have to just say, I love that you mentioned Baylor and that that's the first mention on the podcast <laughs> of course you and did. I was not the one who did it. This is amazing. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a pretty big fan. Um, so obviously Rui, you're a leader, uh, you know, in your, your family and your church and your, your, your work. Um, I'm curious how you as a leader can model failure. Um, we talked about this with other, other people, you know, being transparent and honest about when you met, when you mess up and, and, and how that builds trust and vulnerability. So have you been able to do that or how have you been able to do that? Um, kind of across those three. I, I think one of the, the best examples of doing that is um, sort of the, the conversations I had last night is I had um, three calls from patients and I, I told them, you know, I won't be able to get to you until late afternoon in the evening. And one of the most important ones uh, was last night, really late. And it was about an hour conversation with uh, a father and a, and a mother. The father had never been to any of the appointments, but he, he kept asking about like, you know, why did it happen to our child? And, and what's, you know, what is arthritis and what is the future? And realizing that I had been asking, sorry, answering the wrong questions for mm. them and really letting him have this catharsis to say, you know what, I'm afraid. And it wasn't until I heard him say, I'm afraid that I'm going to make the wrong choice as a father and mm. I'm going to let you give him this drug and then he's going to have liver failure when he's 20 years old or 30 years old. And it was really interesting just see that because <clears throat> it reminded me of listening and forgetting mm. that. And telling people that and then forgetting to model it. And then one way that I've, I've really tried to do that in my career recently is um, there, there are two people at work, um, uh, Lori and Sam, that I really tried hard to mentor what it's like when you fail and what you do to really look at it as an opportunity for success. So uh, once a week, I send them a Harvard Business Review article and then we just go over it. Uh, I gave Sam the book uh, Servant Leader. And, and I said mm -hmm. part of that is learning to build community, learning to be accountable for those that you're building the community, and then helping to be a leader, because a, a true leader really builds others around him and doesn't have to take credit for uh, all the successes of the team. 
I gotta be honest, you got me a little emotional there. Yeah. Anytime you talk about dads and kids, uh, it, it gets me. But I think that's probably a really good segue to talk about your own kiddos. I know you've got a great golf uh, golfer in the family and a couple of kiddos. And, and one of the things that we've been asking people in the podcast is how have you been able to model play for your kids? How have you been able to show them that it's okay to fail? And I, I have two daughters and they're not quite old enough yet for that, but I, I, I wonder how I'm going to be able to do that. And so I, I'd love to just hear how you've done that and maybe I can take some advice away from your experiences. Yeah, that was, that's was been very tough because uh, the reason my daughter got into golf is she, every sport that she played, she just beat everyone. Most recently, she transferred to a new school and they had uh, a field day and she beat everyone in every event that she joined. And we put her in there because we wanted her to, to fail. And when we decided to... to you failed at helping your daughter <laughs> fail? How ironic is that? <laughs> Must be tough. <laughs> well, she really taught me. I remember we were... She was six years old and she was playing it in her first golf tournament and there were uh, kids were only 12 to 14 years old that she was playing against and she was just getting crushed and mm. uh, between the fifth and sixth hole, I just wanted to cry. That's all mm. I could think of was rolling up in a ball and cry and I could tell she wanted to cry and she comes up behind me and grabs my hand and says, don't worry daddy, I'm going to practice more so I can come back and beat these people. And it, oh, and, wow. it, and it took a year and a half before she could come back and beat them but I learned a lot from that in terms of what it, what it is and and then in terms of my career, what uh, she's asked a lot, both of my kids have asked a lot about, you know, why we moved and why we uh, decided to, why I decided to change careers. And it was really that I had failed, um, to the, failed them as a father. And about a month into the move, my son, uh, we usually get up together and, and we go brush our teeth together and I comb his hair. And he asked me, when do you start doing that thing you do? I said, what do you mean? He says, that thing where you... Um, start to go to a lot of meetings, have a lot of homework when you get home, make mm -hmm. us do homework, and then you get on a plane and you say you have more meetings. And I said, no, that's why I moved. He says, yeah, you said that last time. Mm -hmm. And so it was important to, to see uh. that. And so in, in two months uh, in the move, I did more with my kids than I did in probably about almost three years. So it was, it was sort of modeling that I'm in here for you, I'm here. And it was great because I got to see my son and his team won, win first place for um, the city of Albuquerque for chess tournament. Mm, that's yeah. awesome. How do you communicate? Um, so, so that's that's kind of heart wrenching for anyone who's a parent to to kind of hear that. And you know, I've certainly heard that. How do you communicate uh, effectively that failure to your kids, and and I guess give them an expectation or, or you know the acceptance that fa failure's fine. Like how how do you do that? Well, it's it's kind of funny because we sort of tricked our daughter. Um, when she was five, we told her that if she wins a golf tournament, that uh, we'll get her a puppy. And she was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's won several tournaments, but you know, we get a lot of dogs. We we sort of <laughs> failed to mention that until last year. She figured it out, and, and part of it was is is showing her that when she has failed at a shot or failed at winning the tournament, that it was really more about what a great learning opportunity she had. And I remember she saw that uh, really last year when she was in a tournament and the, the coach um, wasn't there. And so she had to be the coach for her brother. He had to serve on her team. And she just had to pick him up every time he wanted to cry, every time he wanted to throw his club. And uh, every time he says, I quit. And they would run, run to his mom and hug him and she would just bring him back. And I saw that and I was like, wow, I, she learned that because of her parents she learned mm -hmm. that success to being able to pick herself up and it's like all right i guess i'm doing something right i think awesome. golf is maybe the best sport 
to play <laughs> if you want to learn how to fail. Oh, yeah. It is wow. so hard and frustrating. So, yeah, you, you picked the right one. I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's pivot for a second to, to your profession and, and maybe take a look at macro real quick. As a, as a senior leader, um, both physician and um, executive, and, and now the second health system that you've worked for as long as I've known you, um, when you look at the landscape, where, where are we failing and, and what, what are you excited about? I guess that's a weird question to ask, but what are you excited about failing at, or what, what do you excited? What do you what do you think we need to fail in healthcare so that we can get over the hump? What are the like key areas in your mind right now? I, I think I think we're there. I think um, one of the things I about two years ago I wanted to do a better job of listening, mm-hmm. and what I did is I took a, a course on motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. and what I learned was how to rephrase the questions that patients ask you so that you can really understand what what they were saying and see there's a hidden agenda because sometimes what they what they're asking you uh, isn't necessarily what they meant to ask yeah. you and and really to uncover what's behind the questions that they have or the concerns that they have and so that was really helpful and then the other one in terms of how we failed is in not listening with, with to patients has been um, a program that I've now been involved with uh, with Presbyterian is uh, shared decision making and what shared decision making does is the patient from beginning to end is involved in all parts of the education and making the ultimate decision but our goal as providers is you need to know as much as I do so that you can make the most informed decision and I think we have failed uh, as providers and what we've done is we we all we use tools to help frame those conversations either before, during, or after the doctor's visit so that the, the time when they're with their provider is just really about that face-to-face. Like, what are the last questions that you have because you've you found out so much about your disease or wellness state? And then the other one was, part of why we did that is we're trying to decrease uh, physician burnout. So we've created these systems and teams and we're using um, technology to help us be more efficient so that we offload a lot of the busy work from physicians and uh, we're starting to see great dividends in terms of uh, the refill campaigns for physicians in terms of by protocols refill medications and instead of having hundreds of refills in your inboxes which kill physicians now that's really taken care of and we do the same with kind of normal results that's taken care of by protocols by uh, nursing staff and then uh, we're going to make it real uh, real time when doctors get to see sort of the cost of care for patients so that the patients and the doctors can in real time uh, make better decisions. So one of the questions I think we've asked everyone so far we've talked to is around how do you deal with failure? Uh, who do you turn to? Do you have a mentor? Um, you know, are there, are there, you mentioned a couple of books, Servant Leader. Uh, there, are there resources? Are there uh, family members? What, what do you kind of do when you're in that moment and you want to get out of it and you want to try to try to turn things around? It's. It wasn't until last year. Um, so before last year, I would always turn to a couple of mentors, uh, Robert Colbert from the National Institutes of Health. I would always email or call him and say, "This is where I think my career is headed. What do you think?" And as someone who's you know, twenty years my senior and has been through all uh, a lot of changes, uh, he's been great in terms of helping me figure out like what's really important. And then uh, last year, um, having started to do uh, meditation, was really helpful in terms of just peeling myself away from the situation, taking just five minutes and saying, all right, get get grounded again in, in what's important to me and looking at it from that lens. I remember 
having a, a recent stressful situation and having a picture of my kids and saying, these are the people that are important and the decision will be based, made, made on the people I see in this picture. Mm. How did you get into meditation? That's something I'm curious about because you and I have talked in the past about spirituality and you know some of that piece, but meditation is a little bit of a, it fits in there, but you know it's a little more Eastern, I would almost say. It, it, I'm just curious, how did you get into that now? Is that, yeah, it worked for you? So the reason I got into pediatric rheumatology and came to Austin was uh, a good friend, Samir Patel, who's now unfortunately out of medicine, but he would always do it. And he invited me one day he knew I was really struggling with a decision um, to leave my uh, former employee, employer. Mm -hmm. And he said, just, just do, come with me, but only for an hour. Well, I had several hours to kill, so I went and did it for two hours. And he kept saying, don't do it because it's really intense. And then that's when I realized it is really intense, but it's also this other way of thinking uh, about it. And if you look at it, uh, at the entrance, you have a, a, a picture of uh, Christ in there. So it's a... It's a Kind of a, it's not for any particular religion because it's, it's for any religion that mm -hmm. you can use meditation. And that's what's really been nice about it. It doesn't matter what religious belief you have, it's a very welcoming environment. And it's called the uh, Self Realization Fellowship. Mm. That's great. I actually think, you know, as I reflect on it, I think meditation is uh, is prominent and, 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 you know, persistent through all faiths. Mm -hmm. I think as a Christian, I think. And and maybe it's the Western Christian yeah, that yeah. doesn't uh, that doesn't do it as, as much anyway. Um, so uh, some some really important conversations uh, that we've had here around failure, both um, personal and uh, professional, and and I love the the kid stuff. But as you think about this podcast, where we're talking about um, failure and how it leads to success or innovation. Um, what advice do you have for uh, our audience in, you know, maybe someone's going through a failure or maybe, you know, I, I remember as an, as an entrepreneur early on, I was like, ah, you know, failures for, you know, failures for the losers. I'm not going to fail. And it wasn't until I, I failed and realized, man, how hard that was. But what kind of advice do you have um, for our audience on failure? I think trying to remember of what centers you and what's really important in you. And um, trying to think, is it is it about you and your ego or is it about a higher purpose that you serve? And uh, are those higher purposes your, your God and your family and, and patience? And if you can remember that, I think it helps you to refocus of what's important when you not necessarily fail, but have new opportunities to learn from something that didn't go as, as well as you planned. You know, one thing that <clears throat> struck me as we're talking is I think I like to talk about failure in the positive to say that it, the positive that comes from failure, right. but I think it's also okay to say that like sometimes you're just in a place where maybe you just failed and you don't want to think about what's going to come from it. You want to be okay in that place, you know? So I don't know. I just want to make sure that we're sensitive to that too, that like Correct. some people are just in that place and it's okay to be there and to feel that and know that there will be more in the future. Correct, and it, and I, I absolutely say, I, I think I look back at six years where I didn't raise my kids, mm. and I look back and I said, I needed those six years to realize what really was important. Yeah. And so I, I absolutely agree that, yeah, it's, it's definitely important to realize that, you know, failure's okay. 
Yeah. And I'm not to be to be a little vulnerable. I'm not good at that personally. And my wife is really good at that. She's really good at sitting in that and experiencing and understanding it. And I want to just move on and go to the next thing. I don't ever want to look back. So hopefully the podcast and the conversations <laughs> will help me too. I think it. I think it comes easier with age because you know when when I turned forty, I looked back and I said, "Wow, I'm forty. I've done a, a lot of life, but I'm only." like halfway there if you look at it on the scale <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. you know, average yeah. lifespan. And and that gave me a completely new perspective. I used to look at 40 and say, that's really old. Looked at looked at Rui and said, wow, <laughs> he's really old. Um, but once that once I got to 40, it's like this halfway point. It's like, man, I've lived a lot of life. I've done a lot of things. But I'm only halfway there if I live to, you know, live to be 80. So well, I think you're talking to the growth mindset. Yeah. But we just went through a relational training of the CARES group, and we talked about having a growth mindset. And it's sometimes hard to do because I too think like, I already went to school. I already got my degree. I don't need to keep learning, but I, I've, I've begun to learn. I'm still learning that I need to continue learning. I just think it's really important, right? To check yourself and make sure that you recognize that you are in process and you've never, you're, you're never there. Well, Dr. Crosco, thank you for uh, taking some time out of South by Southwest. I, I know you're here to have some, some fun, and I think you're going to see some patients as well. But appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for being on the Health Fail Podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs>